system designed to protect individual liberty will have no punishments for any group and no uh, no privileges. Today, I think inner-city folks uh, and minorities are punished unfairly in the war on drugs. For instance, uh, blacks make up 14 percent of those who use drugs, yet 36 percent of those arrested are blacks, and it ends up that 63 percent of those who finally end up in prison are blacks. This has to change. We don't have to have more courts and more prisons. We need to repeal the whole war on drugs. It isn't working. We're spend, we have already spent over $400 billion since the early 70s, and it's a wasted money. Prohibition didn't work. Prohibition on drugs doesn't work. So we need to come to our senses, and absolutely, it's a disease. We don't treat alcoholics like this. This is a disease, and we should orient ourselves to this, that is one way you could have equal justice under the law. Thank you, Congressman. The next question will be asked. Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan on this fifth day of October, 2007. The preceding clip comes from the PBS Republican presidential debates on September 27th, and the speaker, of course, was none other than Congressman Ron Paul of Texas, a presidential candidate. That someone as respected and influential as Dr. Paul is calling for the end to the war on drugs might be surprising to those few out there who still believe that the government actually cares what the people think. But at least the crowd's reaction that night was a hopeful sign that people have realized that Dr. Paul is in fact spreading truth and freedom, as opposed to the other lying, dissembling candidates out there. The war on drugs is of course another iteration of the mythical war, like the war on poverty or the war on terror, which end up doing nothing to combat the actual problem itself, and serve only to line the pockets of those business interests who seek to gain from this as well as creating a tighter police state at home. 
This fact is obvious enough to be understood by nearly everyone, yet the politicians can still get away by lying about their bravado in the war on drugs or the war on terror. Of course, the war on drugs can be shown to be even more of a farce in that the very ones who are bringing the drugs into the country are those in the intelligence services that are meant to be protecting America's foreign interests. This fact, well understood by most of the public, seems to surface in news reports about once a decade and is quickly swept into the memory hole and forgotten. The media, of course, never takes it upon themselves to connect these stories together, so that's exactly what we will do today. The latest story that points to something fishy in the so-called war on drugs is this story from just last week, Thursday, September 27, 2007. The article is headlined, Who Owned Drug Plane That Crashed in Mexico? Question mark. And this comes from McClatchy Newspapers. The report reads in part, quote, U.S. authorities are assisting the Mexican government in the investigation of an American business jet that crashed near Cancun this week with four tons of cocaine on board, officials said Thursday. Some news reports have linked the plane to the transport of terrorist suspects to the U.S. detention center at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, but those reports cite logs that indicate only that the plane flew twice between Washington, D.C. and Gu Guantanamo, and once between Oxford, Connecticut and Guantanamo. No terrorist suspects are known to have been transferred to Guantanamo directly from the United States. End quote. So what we seemingly have here is a jet that's part of the CIA's illegal extraordinary renditioning process, to use the term favored by today's administration, although perhaps it would be more truthful to use the term kidnapping. So-called terrorist suspects are kidnapped from anywhere in the world, flown aboard unmarked CIA jets to Gu Guantanamo Bay, and there those prisoners are detained illegally and without legal representation. This, of course, is thoroughly illegal, breaking numerous international laws and even the Constitution of the United States, which is slowly being rewritten by legislation like the Patriot Act. But to think that this is the first time in which a CIA jet has been involved in drug trafficking would be naive, to say the least. In the 1990s, a journalist named Gary Webb broke the story that the CIA actually had a large hand to play in the crack epidemic that spread throughout America's inner cities in the 1980s. Crack's pernicious spread across America was helped in no small part by the fact that the dealer who introduced crack into the Los Angeles community in the 1980s received a steady supply of cheap, plentiful, pure cocaine from his dealers who were connected to a CIA operation to bring in cocaine to help fund the Contras in Nicaragua. This may be difficult to believe or maybe even difficult to understand as the layers of dissembling are numerous, but let's turn to a Dateline report for more information on this story. Dateline is a popular American news program, and this report is, of course, more journalistic whitewashing of the real story, but it does help us to get to some of the key facts. Let's take a listen to this Dateline report. A super-secret organization like the CIA is going to have secrets, but this sounded too bizarre to be true. Yet there it was, in print, in a respected newspaper. The accusation that the crack epidemic which ravaged this country's cities was spread with help from a secret army linked to the CIA. As you may recall, the story set off a firestorm of controversy. Then last month, a surprising twist. 
The newspaper which had first published this astounding story started to back away from it. Is the story true or not? Tonight, Bob McEwen takes a second look. We are sick and tired of your excuses. And I hope that you'll help to put an end to it, because we are tired and we're hurt and we're angry. I will tell you, Director Deutsch, as a former Los Angeles police narcotics detective, that the agency has dealt drugs throughout this country for a long time. It was an American first. The director of the CIA, one of the country's most secretive institutions, facing the public at a town meeting in South Central Los Angeles. If this information turns up wrongdoing, if it turns up wrongdoing, we will bring the people to justice and make them accountable. An extraordinary event in response to an extraordinary accusation that people working with the CIA had a hand in sparking the crack epidemic that has devastated America's inner cities. Those charges came from this man, reporter Gary Webb of the San Jose Mercury News. He became one of the most talked about journalists in the country, his story the most controversial of the past year, because after investigating the origins of the crack epidemic, he claimed he found a link leading right to the CIA. Men who were working for the CIA's army were responsible for bringing all that cocaine into Los Angeles that sparked the crack epidemic. The CIA's army, Webb says, were the Contras, the anti-communist rebels fighting the government of Nicaragua back in the 1980s, an army founded and funded by the CIA. Webb wrote that some Contra supporters smuggled cocaine to America to raise money for their cause. The CIA has been bringing drugs into this country. As then CIA Director John Deutsch discovered, it's an accusation that rings true for many, especially for some in the African-American community. And Webb's story has taken on a life of its own. And Gary, this... On the talk show circuit and the Internet, some have even gone beyond Webb's charges to accuse the CIA of conspiring to target young African Americans. Was the CIA willing to poison our cities and crack with crack cocaine? On the basis of what you learned, do you believe that there was a conscious decision, a, a meeting where someone sat down and said, we're going to poison the youth of black America and here's how we're going to do it? No, no I don't. These guys were looking to raise money, and I don't think it mattered to them where they did it. They just went where they could raise the money. Gary Webb says his stories were largely based on the testimony of a drug dealer with Contra connections who became a U.S. government witness. But nine months after the series was published, the controversy continues. Some of the heavyweights of American journalism have examined Webb's work and found it reckless, often wrong. Just this week, Webb was pulled off the CIA story after his own executive editor admitted the articles oversimplified the origins of the crack epidemic and left out important conflicting evidence. He also wrote, I feel that we did not have proof that top CIA officials knew. But despite the evidence to the contrary, Gary Webb insists his stories were substantially accurate. And many Americans do seem willing to believe that their own government could have been involved in drug smuggling. So was the U.S. government involved in any way? Dateline decided to take a second look. Crack use spread like wildfire in the early 1980s. And in Los Angeles, a drug dealer known as Freeway Ricky Ross was in the middle of it. Prosecutors called Ross the Walmart of crack. He made millions in the early 80s dealing to Los Angeles street gangs. 
Police say he was among the first to take expensive cocaine powder and cook it into low-cost, highly addictive crack, then distribute it through the gangs. Webb says Freeway Ricky helped trigger an epidemic of human misery. It's destroyed our community. All the black men are in prison, most of us. Rick Ross is now serving a life sentence for cocaine distribution. The women are still strung on their drugs, kids without fathers, without mothers. And honestly, how much responsibility do you have for that? A lot. A lot of it was my fault. I played, I played the game. Police in Los Angeles say he virtually cornered the crack market thanks to a steady supply of cheap cocaine. A pipeline so good that Ross was able to introduce crack to other cities using his gang contacts and to make himself, he says, a very rich man. On your best day, how much money did you see? <clears throat> Couple million, two, three maybe. A day? On a good day. How many days like that were there? A few. Quite a few. Rick Ross's drug supplier did have connections to the Contras. Dateline has been able to confirm that from former Contra leader Eden Pastora. And Pastora admits he received some aid from that drug supplier. But Pastora says he was not aware of any CIA drug connection. So we asked Gary Webb, where is the evidence the CIA knew of any drug dealing? You have to define the CIA. If you're saying that people who are working with the CIA know they were doing it, yeah. Did the director of the Central Intelligence Agency know this? I don't know. This is nonsense. Now retired, Dewey Claridge was the CIA's man in charge of Central America in the early 80s. He insists the agency had nothing to do with any drug trafficking or with any cover-up. Oh, don't give me the don't give me the conspiracy bullshit. Come on, you're you're a more intelligent man than that. Well, come on, come on. I mean, come on. This this there has never been a conspiracy in this country. Never. Gary Webb's version of events may be wrong, but in the mid-1980s, there was a high-level White House conspiracy called Iran-Contra. Whatever you believe, Gary Webb's stories have revived interest in an issue that's been simmering since Ronald Reagan was at the White House. Were U.S. government officials aware of drug smuggling in and around the Contra movement, and did they simply choose to ignore it? One U.S. senator says, absolutely. There's no question in my mind there is a complicity in the flow of drugs into this country, period. A Senate investigation led by John Kerry of Massachusetts found that individuals who provided support for the Contras were involved in drug trafficking and that one or another agency of the U.S. government had information regarding the involvement, either while it was occurring or immediately thereafter. Incredibly, according to Senator Kerry, smugglers even used the U.S. government's own airlift operation at El Salvador's Ilopongo Airport to get cocaine back across the American border. This drug enforcement agent patrolled that same airport in the mid-80s. It was just nonstop traffic coming and going, and nobody ever, ever uh, inspected their planes or their cargo or whatever. Sele Castillo told Dateline he observed rampant drug smuggling at that airport. Well, what we had was that we had Contra pilots flying out of Ilopango uh, smuggling uh, drugs into the U.S., cocaine specifically. He claims the smuggling was so open it had to be condoned by the U.S. government. 
Castillo says planes would arrive filled with supplies for the Contras, then leave carrying cocaine for America, bound for military airfields in Florida and Texas, offloaded out of sight of the law, then shipped to California and other points in the U.S. And there's more. Castillo says when he reported all of this to his bosses at the DEA, he was told to ignore it. So you were told point blank. Point blank, stay away from him. It's a covert operation being run by the White House. In a letter to Dateline, the Drug Enforcement Administration said it has vigorously investigated and no evidence has ever been found to substantiate Mr. Castillo's charges. As for the CIA, it's denied ever aiding or condoning drug smuggling. Reports were reaching the highest councils of our government, in the White House and in the Justice Department. There is no question of that. I can document that. There the White House and Justice Department disputed Kerry's report at the time. But he still believes some government officials turned a blind eye towards drug dealing in the mid-1980s, after the time at the heart of Gary Webb's stories. There were no indictments or prosecutions. Wait, wait. What did the CIA section chief of Central America just say? Well, come on, come on. I mean, come on. This is, this is, there has never been a conspiracy in this country. Well, I don't know about you, but that's good enough for me. Case closed. <sighs> All kidding aside, let's turn to dissecting that report for its various spin and whitewash. Of course, other than using mealy-mouthed journalistic phrases like was America ever really involved in shipping drugs? Question mark, and other such rhetorical questions which the report tries to leave unanswered as best it can despite the answers being out there in plain sight, there are other aspects to this as well. You'll notice that one of the corruption-fighting senators that they went to as a source for this story, who was part of the Senate investigation into government complicity in smuggling drugs, was none other than John Kerry, who we'll remember as the 2004 Democratic presidential candidate. The report tries to make Senator Kerry look like a hard-hitting investigator, even going so far as to suggest that U.S. military jumping points in El Salvador were used to help smuggle in the cocaine. That's only scratching the surface. The question is, where was the cocaine being flown, and who was flying the cocaine? These two questions are important because they have already been answered, this was the major drug story in the 1980s, which again broke in the national media, was swept into the memory hole, and is now not referred to in this report from the 1990s, which is again trying to go from the very beginning and throwing more doubt upon the accusations that the government was complicit in drug smuggling. The story was already broken by Channel 5 out of Chicago, Illinois, in the late 1980s. They ran a piece about an interesting airport in a backwoods area of Arkansas called Mina. We turn now to a documentary called The Mina Connection, which is again available from Google Video Online. And for the link directly to the video, please go to my website, www.corbettreport.com. Under the Episodes tab, you'll find a link to the documentation for today's episode. And if you look at the present time index, you'll be able to find the Mina Connection documentary. The Mina Connection is an excellent documentary that relies heavily on TV reports filed at the time in the late 1980s as the scandal was beginning to break, which details how the drugs were flown into Mina, Arkansas, sold by CIA-connected agents, and the money was then laundered through the banking system. This is one of the reports featured in the MENA Connection. Let's take a listen. 
Nina is a town of patriots and pickups, a town of 5,000 in the mountains of western Arkansas, a place that would seem as far away from American foreign policy as a place could get. And yet, one little airport on the southern edge of town is managing to raise questions that extend far beyond the city limits. A thousand miles away from Nina, here in Washington, there are investigators for both the House and the Senate who would like to know what's going on at that little airport in western Arkansas. As Oliver North's public battle over government secrets and the illegal supply of weapons to the Nicaraguan Contras is waged in Washington, congressional investigators in recent months have tried to learn if Mena, Arkansas was an illegal staging area for shipping guns to the U.S.-backed Contra rebels. This is a strange story. The facts already known are bizarre enough. What Unit 5 has been able to learn makes this story stranger still. It all begins in 1982, when this man, Adler Berryman Seal, showed up in Mena, Arkansas. My top load paid me one and a half million dollars for a single trip. Barry Seal was a drug smuggler, an extraordinary multi-million dollar a year drug smuggler, who with the help of several associates kept and serviced his drug planes in a hangar at the Mena airport. Those planes, according to investigators, were illegally modified with extra fuel tanks and instruments in order to fly long-distance drug missions to Central and South America. Barry Seal paid his associates for those modifications with tens of thousands of dollars in cash, money which, according to investigators, was illegally laundered by Seal's associates at banks in Mina. Yeah, I'm pleading guilty. But when Barry Seal was finally caught in 1984, investigators for the FBI, the IRS, and other agencies of law enforcement were told little or nothing about a special deal he had made with the Federal Drug Task Force headed by then-Vice President George Bush. The deal? The government kept Barry Seal out of jail, and in exchange, Seal became a drug informant and helped put in jail some of his own associates in the international drug trade. But that wasn't all that Barry Seal did. Russell Welch, criminal investigator for the Arkansas State Police. Did Barry Seal ever say to you, I work for the CIA? He said he was working, had worked for the CIA. Unit 5 has learned in the early 1980s, even before his arrest, Seal had bought one of his planes from a CIA front, Air America. The plane was used by Seal for drug smuggling, and the CIA company was paid in the traditional drug dealer fashion of $300,000 in cash. According to this confidential FBI teletype obtained by Unit 5, one of SEAL's associates said he was maintaining SEAL's aircraft at the MENA airport for the CIA. So what was Barry SEAL actually doing? One federal agent under a very strict confidence told me that it was assumed within his agency Barry SEAL was carrying guns to Central American Exchange, was bringing drugs back on a free ride. Russell Welch of the Arkansas State Police was one of dozens of investigators who for years had been tracking Barry Seal and his associates. As these documents obtained by Unit 5 indicate, the FBI, the IRS, Customs, and the Attorney General of Louisiana formed just a partial list of those who wanted some answers. They didn't get them. Internal FBI documents indicate investigators were told not to look into any of Seal's activities that occurred before his 1984 plea agreement. So, blocked from seeking indictments against SEAL, investigators sought indictments against SEAL's associates at the MENA airport for allegedly aiding in the drug smuggling and for alleged IRS violations. So far, no indictments have been produced. 
At the end of this year, the statute of limitations will run out on those alleged crimes. As for Barry Seal, time ran out in 1986 when he was assassinated in Louisiana by Colombian drug dealers. Some of Seal's secrets died with him, but some of those secrets today remain guarded by the National Security Council, the agency for which Oliver North worked. The NSC has blocked a recent congressional request to examine the relationship of drug smuggling to American foreign policy in Central America. As a citizen, America didn't get to stay in court. America most certainly did not get its day in court, and it's time to start looking at the names responsible for that lack of justice. One name pointed to in the documentary Who Killed John O'Neill is Asa Hutchinson. Who Killed John O'Neill is an interesting documentary that I highly recommend as it points to a lot of the people behind the events that led to 9-11, including this incident in Mena, Arkansas, and the CIA drug-running connection. I'd like to thank Richard Grove from the website The Eighth Estate for bringing this documentary to my attention, and I encourage all my listeners to check out The Eighth Estate and also Richard Grove's podcast, 9-11 Synchronicity. The links to all of these are again available from the documentation tab on my website, CorbettReport.com. Who Killed John O'Neill points out that the U.S. Attorney General at the time of the events in question was one Asa Hutchinson. Asa Hutchinson was a trial lawyer in Fort Smith, Arkansas, before being appointed the U.S. Attorney General for the area. In his capacity as U.S. Attorney General, Mr. Hutchinson failed to open investigation into Barry Seal, even though at the time that he became the U.S. Attorney General, it was well known that Barry Seal was smuggling the drugs in. For his failure ever to shut down the operation at Mina, Asa Hutchinson was rewarded with a position, surprise, surprise, as head of the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency of the United States. In this decade, Mr. Hutchinson went on to become the first ever undersecretary for border and transportation security at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. You cannot make this stuff up. Asa Hutchinson would be one key criminal to bring to justice if the events in Mina ever see their day in court. But let's not exclude the governor of Arkansas at that time from his participation in the cover-up of the MENA operation. Now, who was the governor of Arkansas in the 1980s? Hmm. Well, let's turn back to the MENA connection to find out a little bit more about that answer. On October the 7th, 1994... Sarah McClendon, the senior White House news correspondent who has covered 11 presidential administrations, beginning with that of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, demonstrated once again that she has the courage to ask the hardball questions other journalists only dare to think. As she confronted William Jefferson Clinton about the Central Intelligence Agency's involvement in nefarious activities, activities set at a remote airport in western Arkansas while Clinton was Arkansas's commander-in-chief, she finally cornered the man who was a co-conspirator in bypassing the Constitution of the United States of America. In doing so, the president was not only forced to address the looming scandal that may impeach him, Clinton once again demonstrated his trademark talent. He lied. Sir, uh, the Republicans are trying to blame you for the existence of a small air base at Mena, Arkansas. This base was set up by George Bush and Oliver North and uh, the CIA to help the Iran-Contras 
and they brought in plane load after plane load of cocaine there for sale in the United States. And then they took the money and bought weapons and took them back to the Contras, all of which was illegal, as you know, under the Bolin Act. But tell me, did they tell you that this had to be in existence because of national security? Well, let me answer the question. No, they didn't tell me anything about it. They didn't say anything to me about it. The airport in question and all the events in question were the subject of state and federal inquiries. It was primarily a matter for federal jurisdiction. The state really had next to nothing to do with it. The local prosecutor did conduct an investigation based on what was within the jurisdiction of state law. The rest of it was under jurisdiction of the United States attorneys who were appointed successively by previous administrations. We had nothing, zero, to do with it, and everybody who's ever looked into it knows that. Polk County Prosecutor Charles Blake the man who initially attempted to investigate the MENA, Arkansas criminal activities would surely take exception to Mr. Clinton's assertion that, quote, the local prosecutor did conduct an investigation based on what was within the jurisdiction of the state law, end quote. In fact, it was Blyke who went directly to then-Governor Clinton to seek funding for his investigation, seeing as how rural Polk County lacked the financial resources to deal with the CIA. When it became apparent that uh, nothing was going to be done on the federal level, that's when I began more actively pursuing it. Prosecutor Black, a Clinton supporter, met with the governor and handed him a letter requesting money for a state grand jury on MENA. His response to me was that he would uh, uh, get a man, something to the effect that he would get a man on it and would get word back to me. And uh, I never heard back. Years later, Clinton said he offered $25,000 to Prosecutor Black's boss to fund a grand jury. But Charles Black and his boss claim they never heard about any offer of money from Governor Clinton. I believe Bill Clinton's an honest, respectable man, and I have to believe that he did that. But the fact is, I never got that word myself. Blake wasn't the only man affected by uncooperative superiors who for some strange reason seemed willing to turn a blind eye to blatant disregard for America's laws. William Duncan, a senior IRS Criminal Intelligence Division investigator, was running headlong into invisible walls that were protecting what appeared to be an open wound in the Department of Justice. How far will the United States government go to protect an operation? Will they kill a case? I think history has shown that that can happen. Did it happen? In my opinion, yes. Duncan, through the Arkansas Attorney General's office, desperately sought funding to continue his investigation into the dark corners of the CIA's activities in Arkansas. But just as Prosecutor Blake had earlier experienced, Bill Clinton wouldn't help. The purse strings funding justice were drawn tight. So Clinton's response to Sarah McClendon about, quote, the state really had next to nothing to do with it, end quote, was another lie. The state, under Clinton's control, helped seal the fate of the MENA scandal by not funding a proper investigation. Even more shocking, when law enforcement failed to shield the citizens of Arkansas from the federal government's reckless disregard for the sovereignty of the state and its laws, a citizens group known as the Arkansas Committee, gathered thousands of signatures and went directly to Clinton, demanding he lead the investigation. The results of the civilian effort? Continued lies, deceit, and cover-up. 
What forces could be responsible for compromising the entire system of justice? Bill Clinton certainly knows. He was the governor of Arkansas who allowed the subversion of his state government by the shadowy forces radiating from the Reagan-Bush White House when ex-CIA director William Casey began using the CIA to illegally conduct secret foreign policy. The historical integrity of this all is shocking and complete. In 1972, the same year that Richard Nixon declared the war on drugs, a researcher named Alfred W. McCoy published a book called The Politics of Heroin in Southeast Asia, which asserted that Air America, an American passenger and cargo airline which was covertly owned and operated by the CIA, had been used to transport opium and heroin on behalf of Hmong leader Vang Pao. The same CIA Air America aircraft which had been used for transporting opium and heroin was later converted for use by Barry Seal, the CIA agent who was flying narcotics for the Iran-Contras in Nicaragua into the Mina airport in Arkansas. Governor Bill Clinton, soon to become President Bill Clinton, helped to cover up the investigation, as did Asa Hutchinson, and we remember what happened to those two individuals. Senator John Kerry did a limited hangout of the entire Mina operation and was rewarded for not going too far by becoming the next Democratic presidential hopeful. The whole Iran-Contra scheme was, of course, run out of the Reagan vice presidential office under George H.W. Bush, who used Oliver North in the NSC, which is the White House body which is supposed to have oversight over the CIA, but in fact was allowing the CIA to break the law. And yet we still have politicians proclaiming the virtues of the war on drugs. It is a scam. It is a scheme. It is not real. What use does the CIA have for smuggling drugs into the country, though? Was it simply a short-term measure for funding the Contras in Nicaragua? Well, let's turn to an interview with Michael Rupert. Michael Rupert is an ex-LAPD narcotics officer, and he was the one from the Dateline Report who confronted the CIA director John Deutsch at Locke High School in Los Angeles, telling him that I am a former LAPD narcotics detective, I worked South Central, and I can tell you, Director Deutsch, that the agency has dealt drugs in this country for a long time. And if you'll remember back to that report, the audience erupted with approval at that sentiment. Well, in September 2000, Nexus Magazine conducted an interview with Michael Rupert, and I'm going to read a a portion of what he had to say about this war on drugs. He said in part, quote, The point about the drug trade is not that the CIA dealt a few drugs during the Contra years to fund the covert operation that Congress didn't want it to engage in. The CIA has dealt drugs for all 50 years of its existence, 50-plus years, even before it was the CIA. And the point is that with $250 billion a year in legal drug money moved, laundered through the American money, that money benefits Wall Street. That's the point of having the prohibitive drug trade, which the CIA effectively manages for the benefit of Wall Street. Just before the Contra War, the annual cocaine consumption in this country was about 50 metric tons a year, let's say back in 1979. By 1985, it was 600 metric tons a year. We are still consuming 550 metric tons of cocaine a year in this country, and the money that's generated from that is used. Let's say some drug dealer in Colombia calls General Motors and buys a thousand Suburbans. GM doesn't ask where it came from. Philip Morris is now being sued by 28 departments, the same thing as states, in Colombia for smuggling $2 billion worth of Marlboro cigarettes into Colombia and getting paid for it with cocaine money. 
That money boosts Philip Morris's stock value on Wall Street. General Electric, the same way. It's documented in the U.S. Department of Justice. So the purpose of the agency being involved in the drug trade has been to generate illegal cash, fluid liquid capital, which gives those who can get their hands on it an unfair advantage in the marketplace. At this point, the interviewer asks, so when you hear the term war on drugs, and Michael Rupert responds, quote, well, it's not a war on drugs. It's a war on people. Consider this. Joseph McNamara, a former chief of San Jose from the Hoover Institute at Stanford University, published some really telling figures. In 1972, when Richard Nixon started the war on drugs, the annual federal budget allocation was $110 million a year for enforcement. In fiscal year 2000, 28 years later, the budget allocation was $17 billion a year. And yet, in the year 2000, there are more drugs in this country, they are cheaper, and they are more potent than they were in 1972. That has to tell you that there's some other agenda going on here. End quote. And there certainly is some other agenda going on, I would venture to say. Let's bring this back to 2007 and extend it into 2008. Next year, Americans are going to have to make a choice for their president. Quite likely, the choice on the Democratic side would be Hillary Clinton. Now, let's not even get into the fact that if Hillary Clinton gets into the White House and stays there for eight years, that will make 36 consecutive years where a Bush or a Clinton has been in the White House, either as president or vice president. Let's take this fact into account. Gary Webb's book, Dark Alliance, which he produced from his reporting from the 90s about the CIA connections to the crack epidemic, produced documents showing that CIA contracts at the Amina airport were negotiated by the Rose Law Firm, Hillary Clinton's law firm. The corruption at the top is complete. The only person speaking the truth is Ron Paul. You have one candidate who wants an end to this phony war on drugs and wants the CIA to genuinely stop dealing the drugs. And then we have the Clintons of the world, or the Careys, who will go so far into an investigation only to produce a limited hangout. Again, the choice is yours, but please inform yourself before you make that choice. I implore and beseech you to check out the documentation from today's episode and do your own research to find out more information about who's really involved with these CIA drugs and the money laundering. Again, Who Killed John O'Neill is an excellent documentary that traces us back to BCCI and finds the connection to AIG and Kroll. The war on drugs is a fraud. The CIA ships in the cocaine. Get informed. That's it for today. Please join me next week for another edition of The Corbett Report. People might need some tension to relax me I'm too busy dodging tweet up facts You see, here's what you get You've made your bed, you better lie in it You choose your leaders and place your trust As their lies will shut down and their promises lost Losing kidney machines with paper rockets and guns And the public wants what the public gets But I don't give up the society wants I'm going underground Spray shit on my TV screen, but this point.
on here, come on. Listen, listen. There has never been a conspiracy in this country. 